Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. Prayer meeting from 12 to 1 o'clock. Stop 5, 10, or 20 minutes, or the whole time as your time admits. On a Wednesday, September 23, 1857, Jeremiah Lanfear wrote these words on a placard outside of North Dutch Church on Fulton Street in Manhattan. For 30 minutes, no one came. At 12.30, another person arrived, and then four more showed up before the hour was over. But he could never have imagined what this would set up for the next 12 months. On this episode of This Week in Church History, I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Dr. Michael McMullen, and we'll be talking about what happened after that radical, simple, not very well attended prayer meeting on September 23rd, uh, 1857, uh, as Jeremiah Lanfear risked in prayer to something that would be so transformative for the middle of the 19th century. Uh, overall. So, Dr. McMullen, thanks again for uh, uh, working with me as we talk through some of these key people uh, in history of faith. Uh, Jeremiah Lanfear is, is probably a name that many people aren't familiar with, yet God laid on his heart this idea that prayer would be something that would be more transformative, and indeed, it really was. For at least an 18-month period in American history, we have a very unique outpouring of a revival that was centered completely on prayer. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. Um, and and Lanfear um, is one of these characters uh, who really should be uh, better known than he is. Um, there really needs to be more written about him than there is. Uh, there are books about the revival, uh, but in a sense, there is very little written mm-hmm. about Lanfear himself. So maybe that will happen. And, and again, Lanfear is a, an incredible example um, of, of what God can do in, in seemingly hopeless uh, circumstances. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're in the middle of New York City, uh, the middle of the 19th century. It, it, it's a pretty godless time. Um, you're approaching the Civil War. You have a, a, a retired businessman um, who a, agrees to work for a church in, in an area that has seen a, a, a massive demographic change. And, and even that church and, and many of the other churches have really left the area. This is uh, now simply a, a mission center, really. Yep. And, and he agrees uh, to work for them uh, to see what might be done uh, to rejuvenate a congregation. It, it, it's a bit like uh, what we would call maybe a replant today. It, it, with, with no prospects of it ever becoming anything amazing. No, and, and he'd worked for three months and, and, and seen no fruit. Uh, he, you know, he, he talks about being weary. And, and discouraged and at a loss what to do. He, he'd visited shops and businesses 
and boarding houses to, to share the gospel and to invite them to the church. And, and none of that had seemed to produce any positive response. Mm-hmm. And, and how many Christians even today have had similar uh, kind of experiences? Well, and even to compound perhaps some of the, the challenges, he's single, he never has children, he's never married, uh, he, he doesn't formally have theological training. It, all of those kinds of things that we would say, okay, uh, yes, difficult circumstances, but here are some things that you might have in your corner that are going to help give you a leg up in this circumstance or give you that support when you're discouraged like your family or any of those. He didn't have any of that. He's, he's by himself in this very um, difficult and challenging circumstances. It almost feels like the prayer meeting becomes a Hail Mary. I don't, I don't know what else to do. It's that Hail Mary pass. Of, and, and uh, I think that's exactly right. He, he tried, you know, everything that he could do as an individual to invite people. And, um, you know, he, as you say, he'd had no experience of, of anything like this. He certainly wasn't a missionary. He was a businessman. Yeah. And, and, uh, why on earth? I mean, would he even do that? It just seems uh, to be counterintuitive um, that God would call him to do such a thing, a, a, a dying neighborhood and a man with no experience to invite people to a church that's empty. To pray. And then you can't to get pray. Christians to pray. And why would you just open up with a little placard outside your, your, your church door to say, Hey, we're going to pray at this time and expect people to show up. It, it's it's not a venture that seems to be um, filled with any kind of real hope. But isn't that where God works? Really, choosing the weak and the foolish things of the world. And if anything seemed foolish, it was this. And of course, even Lanfear himself admits later that for that first thirty minutes, when nobody turns up. Uh, he really does wonder if, if this is a mistake too. Yeah. But very quickly, things begin to change. So like the next week, you've got 20 people there. The week following, around 40. And then by October, so this is September when he starts this. By October, the the meetings move to daily. And by January, uh, just a few months later, they're having to use more than one room simultaneously because there's so many people coming during this lunch hour to pray. By February, they're having to expand to a third space to be able to uh, to do this. And then by later in the spring, more than 20 different locations with prayer meetings are all being held just across the city. Yeah, God unleashes his spirit in an incredible way in this. This isn't a a man-manufactured emotional response to anything, not to preaching or music or personalities. It it is a prayer originated, God-given thing. And and like the first Great Awakening and the second, uh, this really is going to spread from New York across America, and then really into Europe. It's going to be a a transatlantic, incredible thing that God does. And and the numbers 
are, are just staggering. It's it's crazy. Ian Murray says that when he's writing on this, that uh, the the way that he puts it is that basically uh, by the time you get into spring, so roughly six months after he starts this lonely prayer meeting, uh, so mid March, you you have almost every downtown New York church and public theater or hall filled to capacity. There were more than 10,000 men gathering daily for prayer. That doesn't even count the women who were gathering. It's just, it's unbelievable and unfathomable to talk about a movement of God in a city like New York where you've got thousands upon thousands of men taking their lunch break to pray. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. They will come, uh, as they did, did in Fulton Street, as they will do in other cities, as they'll do across New England, in Chicago, uh, across to Britain and Ireland. Um, they are meeting to uh, sing a hymn. Um, they will read some scripture, and, and then they will spend time with with prayer requests, and and they will pray for these requests that are given, and and see incredible results, and mm-hmm. um, conversions and lives changed uh, for eternity, and and in you know they talk about a, a million people being converted in America through this movement, and and there is no leader. It's not Lanfear. Lanfear would be the last person to take any credit for this. It, it, it's through prayer that God has done amazing things. Now, a lot of times uh, God will use difficult circumstances to drive people to prayer, to um, consider revival, uh, these these types of things. And some historians that they've looked at this event say a lot of this was predicated upon the financial panic that occurred in late 57 when the markets collapse. And um, due to the overexpansion of the economic market in America, as America continues to move westward, um, there's financial panic uh, in 18, oh, 1840s early. You have telegraph um, invented. And so now news can travel faster. And so the news of the panic that's happening in uh, major economic centers on the East Coast spreads rapidly to the West, which creates even more panic. And uh, there's this massive financial collapse that happens. And so when we think through people, we're realizing we can't do this. We need someone. We need the Lord. So it's not just that People are coming together to pray. People are seeking God. So these are individuals sometimes coming to these prayer meetings who do not even know God, and yet they're leaving at the end of the prayer meeting having trusted Christ as Savior. Yeah, it's a time where uh, people have become uh, more interested, of course, in in wealth and and what is possible um, and how you live, your lifestyle and everything. Uh, you've had the California gold rush in 48, and, and that's had an impact in America. But economically, times are very hard. Mm-hmm. Businesses are closing. 
Um, New York City has an incredible unemployment rate. Y- you've got slavery, you know, tearing the country apart. You've got the threat of war looming. Uh, there, you know, if, if ever there was an age of, of desperation and anxiety, it was this. And, and so the opportunity to come together and, and pray um, and, and to sense God's presence and, and want to be there desperately and not leave, uh, as will happen in the various places where these prayer meetings uh, emerge, um, you know, was, was exactly what God was doing through mm-hmm. the circumstances of the day. And, and or uh, in his evaluation of some of the, the movements and revivals of God, Said that the next year, the from so fifty, this starts in fifty seven. So the next year, uh, in uh, eighteen fifty eight, he estimates that around a million people came to faith in Christ, which is just radically crazy. People would talk about how the streets of Boston would be totally silent at noon outside of the sound of people praying or singing within uh, churches, chapels, and gathering locations. Just. Fascinating to think about entire metropolitan areas shutting down yeah, for an it, hour it, to pray. Even ships coming into to New York Harbor. The, the presence of God um, was so evident and strong and convicting that even before they heard anything about what was taking place, newspapers, uh, with no love for the church, <laughs> uh, including even the New York Times, were describing how sailors were being converted on the decks of their ships as they approached the harbor. So fascinating to think and, about today. And, and these are not, you know, religious magazines that are, uh, you know, promoting propaganda or something. These are, are secular newspapers giving an account uh, of exactly what has taken place in, in what had been a pretty godless city. Yeah. It's so fascinating. So what did these prayer meetings look like? Uh, I mean, we could, we've all been to prayer meetings. Uh, I, I would assume for many of our listeners, we maybe different traditions. So those have looked a little different. But many of these meetings kind of followed us a, a formula that, uh, that, that tended to happen at least early on. Uh, later, you, you have some, uh, I guess, some, some things that begin to change. So what, what did some of these look like? Uh, if if we were to attend one of these, yeah, we, you know, we're very fortunate in that we have um, eyewitness accounts from those who attended these meetings, and and they really did follow uh, a pattern. Uh, not that it was laid down as something that you had to do; it's just how the meetings uh, came to be, and it, and it really followed the pattern of what um, Lanfear himself uh, had followed in the beginning. And, and people would take their seats uh, minutes before the service would start, and uh, the rooms would fill up rapidly, um, and you'd be lucky soon to find a seat. Um, the, the meetings would start very punctually, and uh, you would have a leader, and he would uh, announce a hymn. The hymn books would be there. They would sing. Um, then he would offer a prayer. Um, it would be relatively short. Then they would read a brief portion of scripture. That would be about eight to 10 minutes. And and then the prayer requests would start to be given as written to the front. 
and, and he would announce the meeting was now open for prayer. And, and those maybe who've especially traveled the distance um, are invited to take part. And, and there were very clear rules. And, and then, you know, those who witnessed it said that the presence of God was, was there and evident mm-hmm. and, and uh, it, it was a holy atmosphere. And, and people prayed genuinely for God to move. And again, in, in very practical circumstances and situations for the conversion of a partner or a son or a daughter or something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, for other particular situations, for healing, whatever it might be. And as that went on, in many places, they would even put up signs in order to keep things moving. Don't pray longer yeah, than five they, minutes. They had to tell them that your prayer had to be limited because there were so many uh, who wanted to take advantage uh, of this place and the fact that God was um, moving. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was a, a tension over singing as well. So early in the movement, the only singing that might happen would be uh, at the benediction, kind of a close as, as they kind of drew the, the meeting uh, to, to a close. Later on, the movement uh, enabled, uh, in, in many locations, individuals to, uh, there was kind of like spontaneous singing that would kind of break out as people would uh, either sing hymns together or others, almost as uh, just corporate prayer. Uh, they would they would often use these as almost a way of expressing the the heart of the people in that moment. Yeah, the desire was always to keep the focus on prayer. Yep. And of course, it becomes you know the layman's prayer revival right. of 1857. But it, it it's going to have no boundaries, no leader as such, and um, no preaching. But it's it's prayer that God is working in and through in this incredible movement, and and you know people who've looked at it and commented on it, um, it, it it's hard to say when it finished, and um, because you know you have thousands of of troops, um, especially say in the Confederate Army who were converted in the Civil War, and and maybe that's a part still. Of, of what God is doing um, as a consequence or, or just as a, an extension of the prayer revival. Um, and, and, you know, some say maybe if it hadn't been for the Civil War, then it, it would have carried right. on and we'd have seen even more incredible results or something. Um, but it really was just this incredible move of God um, doing miracles, um, conversions, and and change lives uh, in in the millions really. In, in eighteen fifty eight, Chicago, uh, as this breaks out there in that city, two thousand showed up uh, for prayer in the Metropolitan Theater, and the newspaper commented this. And this is great. It said this: so far as the effects of the present religious movement are concerned, they are apparent to all. They are to be seen in every walk of life, to be felt in every phase of society. The merchant, the farmer, the mechanic, all who have been within their influence have been incited to better things, to a more orderly and honest way of life. All have been more or less influenced by this excitement. Such, such a, an amazing way for a paper to even reflect that these people who are gathering in prayer 
are seeing real life change. Yeah. Uh, even even in our city, and it's and it's across every socioeconomic spectrum. Everybody is changed by this. Yeah, and that's it. Everybody attended the prayer meetings. It didn't matter about class or job or anything. And um, you know, people were attracted because they could sense that it was a thing of God, just like the first great awakening, that you wanted to be there, you wanted to see God move, you wanted to pray, and, and you wanted to bring things to him. And, um, you know, we, we hear incredible stories from the revival. And um, there was a, a prize fighter. He, his name was Awful Gardner, and, mm. and uh, he was converted through the prayer meeting. And, and he would visit his old friends at, at Sing Sing um, and, and give his testimony as to what God had done for him. The New York Times uh, in 1858 ha- had this, you know, the, and the New York Times, for goodness sake, they said the great wave of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over this nation, is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. It is most impressive to think that of this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are asking themselves at this time in a simple, serious way the greatest question that can ever come before the human mind. What shall we do to be saved from sin? And you have a million conversions at least. I suspect that really is a conservative figure. Yes. Um, the Baptists um, record that probably they see an increase of at least you know ten percent across their body. Yep. And and they're already a massive body at this particular time. The Methodists see an incredible addition to their numbers. So people are not just being converted, but they're being added to the church. And, and these members are going to stick. This is where you begin to see the argument that George Marsden and Mark Knoll have made that this is, when we talk about a Christian America, it's the 19th century that matters even more than the 18th century, because it's in the 19th century that we see the pervasive nature of the Second Great Awakening, but then it's this type of revival, this businessman's revival that happens uh, in, in the middle of the century that just spreads so rapidly and so quickly across um, uh, across the nation that you really begin to see the change worked out within the country. Yeah, it, it's described as the most intense and, and fasting, uh, fastest spreading of, of all the revivals. Uh, the speed and the numbers involved um, just surpass everything that's happened before. And of course, again, there's no preaching and, and no individuals um, leading this. It, it really is a, a, a prayer-driven phenomenon, just incredible to me. Um, you know, it, it's, it's non-sectarian. It, it doesn't matter about the, the churches that are involved. It's God mm-hmm. working in and through people. Um, it, it's, it, it's a lay movement. It, it shows what God can do. Um, 
if people pray? And, and how desperate are we to see another move like this, um, both in America and in Britain? And this this is what what needs uh, to happen. It was uh, Charles Finney who we talked about a few episodes ago. So there's such a great confidence in the prevalence of prayer that the people are very extensively seem to prefer meeting for prayer to meeting for preaching. The general impression seemed to be, we have had instruction until our hearts are hardened. It's time for us to pray. What what a what a crazy. Time and thought. It's a wonderful word. And, and, you know, even in the other revivals, even in the incredible revivals that Scotland has seen, you know, prayer was a central factor in those two. And and I think that's what Christians uh, need to recapture, you know, a a seriousness with God um, for him to move again in an incredible way that impacts society like we've never seen. Right. It's It's got to come back to prayer. Well, that, listener, can be our challenge uh, and thought uh, for this week as we consider the call to prayer. I love this testimony from Lanfear as he reflects on the later part of his uh, life, this, this whole movement. He says this, The subject was laid upon my heart. It was a matter of constant consideration for some time. At last I resolved to give myself to the work, and I shall never forget with what force at the time those words came home to my soul. Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's, and he is mine. He drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. So, listener, thank you for joining us for This Week in Church History. We look forward to seeing you next week.